This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by Syngenta. More than 27,000 people in over 90 countries helping the world's farmers grow more from less, protect the environment, and improve health and quality of life. See all they are doing at Syngenta.com. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Ray Offenheiser, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Nice to be with you, Ken. Let me ask you about food aid uh, within the Foreign Assistance Program. Is it in need of improvement? Well, Ken, I think there's been a really interesting debate that's been going on um, over the, the last uh, probably seven years about whether, in fact, this, the, the, the original idea for this food aid program is actually in need of some reform and some change given a variety of changed circumstances. Of course, as your listeners probably know, this was a program created uh, during the Eisenhower administration when we had you know, s- you know, very large surpluses of grain. It was intended to lower prices, to, uh, I mean, lower the surpluses in order to increase prices for American farmers. Those circumstances have changed dramatically. Farm, farm prices and commodity prices have, have been high in recent years, and, and given the new entrance of China and India in the market, that's probably likely to be the case going forward, particularly for grains. Um, the real issue, I think, is you know, uh, is an issue of both efficiency and effectiveness um, about the food aid program. That's what's really been debated. And, and um, if I can sketch that out for you briefly, what what that's about is, you know, can we get, you know, in our current program, um, basically we are trying to send uh, American food and surplus overseas on American ships to countries in need um, that are facing large-scale humanitarian emergencies. The challenge we face is that food is often not getting there fast enough. And we're paying very high shipping costs. 53% of all the money spent by the USDA on this program is for shipping, going to shipping companies um, under U.S. flags, but not, but with shipping companies not necessarily owned by U.S. owners. So that's money going overseas. And so we're only getting 50% of the value of our dollar going to um, the, the needy at the end of the line in, the, in ter- terms of real grain and real food. So the discussion has been is whether or not we actually could be combining that program of, you know, the traditional program with one in which we're we're purchasing locally. And um, in order to get the food there faster and um, meet the need of sort of, uh, of, I guess, what you might say, nutritionally um, deprived or threatened populations facing a famine or other sort of uh, challenge. And so there's a variety of discussion going, there's a discussion going on about how we can do that best. Well, moving to then the real crux of this right now, does the President of the United States uh, want to change our food assistance programs uh, to maybe move toward, not totally to, but toward some of the things that you've outlined that could be changed? Well, President Obama wants to move in that direction, and I should say the ideas for this reform originated with President Bush and the and USDA under President Bush, and, and, and President Obama is simply picking up uh, the mantle from President Bush on this reform issue. Um, and basically, the, the ideas are, 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 are the following. Basically, they want to reduce transportation costs by, sending, by purchasing some portion of food locally. So the question is, how do you, you know, how would we, you know, actually um, do that? So what, what, what's being proposed is that at present in the Senate bill, for example, $60 million would be set aside for what would be called 
local purchase. So this imagine a country um, facing a famine as Kenya did last year and Somalia. We would we would use some portion of that money to buy food from countries in the region or you know from Kenya perhaps in another part of Kenya to feed um, uh, populations in Somalia and on the on the northern Kenyan border. And the food would get there very quickly because it would be purchased within the region. Meanwhile, other food coming from the United States, which generally takes about 150 days to get there, um, would come in and fill in after that, you know, on the back end of that um, uh, initial supply. So the idea is to combine, you know, being very practical and using sort of common sense. How do we get the best? How, do, how can we get our agencies to perform best by getting food there quick, getting there in volume, and then following up with the uh, the American shipments that would come in a bit later? Um, we know from experience that we can, you know, in, in areas where we've seen these famines before, that we can actually purchase food locally somewhere in the region, if not even sometimes in the affected country, and get it there in like 30 to 40 days, whereas usually the shipping of American grain takes up to maybe 150 uh, days to get there. So, you know, it could be a six-month, you know, difference in, in terms of actually meeting the need. The other issues um, have to do with um, this, uh, what's called the monetization of, of food aid. In other words, we do send food to some countries that actually have agricultural sectors, and we use that money, that, that food grain is sold into the, those markets. And it has, uh, to some, in many cases, it can have a, um, a pernicious effect in, by, in driving down grain prices in that country and therefore actually undermining our development objectives by undermining the farmers in that particular country. It also has been a very inefficient way to actually uh, move U.S. grain because what we're selling it for in these countries is way below what we've been buying it from the U.S. farmer at. So in other words, there's been a, an inefficiency in, in purchase price. We're not getting true value. So the president's proposal basically is um, to, uh, you know, try to provide greater flexibility to USAID and, and our uh, and the Food for Peace program to buy locally, to provide money to do that, um, and continue the the, um, the existing program um, uh, to complement that, and then actually to set higher standards for cost recovery for the mon- what's called the monetization program, where food our food grains are being sold into markets where there may be some need, so that the, the taxpayer is getting a better deal, and at the end of the day. We're also lowering the, um, you know, the costs uh, of shipping because we're doing some of that purchase locally. So, um, so we're giving the taxpayer, in effect, a better overall deal. I think at the bottom, the bottom line here is that I think both presidents have felt this has been a common sense approach, saving taxpayer money and getting a, and getting a better impact for the uh, the American taxpayer at the, at the in terms of the program uh, on the ground. What is the likelihood of a reform proposal on food aid? Actually, getting through Congress and being signed by the president. I think the uh, you know the possibilities for a uh, reform proposal passing in this Congress are actually good because I think one of the things that's happened is this proposal in many ways is a very common sense proposal. It's about saving money. It's about being more effective. It's about being more efficient. It's about getting food to people who need it fast. And I think as as both industry leaders and uh, NGO leaders and others, politicians and uh, here in Washington have looked at this, they realize it makes good sense both for the American taxpayer as well as for the food recipients at the other end of the of, of the supply chain here. And I think one, one of the things we've seen is, you know, many of the organizations, both in the private sector and among farmers groups, 
that have perhaps in the past tried to preserve the traditional system are actually changing their view on this. Cargill, for example, has actually been supportive of the reform initiative publicly. The National Farmers Union um, has indicated for them, you know, it's time for a change and that the current system doesn't make sense and we need to be thinking about, you know, combining local purchase with the, the traditional system. And even the Farm Bureau has, has recognized that, you know, from just purely an economic and logic point of view, this doesn't make a lot of sense and that really, you know, it's, it, it is, is time for a change. So, I think as we see industry moving and some of the groups that have been supportive of the traditional system uh, rethinking it and recognizing this is, you know, good common sense, um, that it raises the likelihood that um, policymakers um, on, on, in both the House and the Senate and both parties are going to get on board. So, you know, we've got a good bill. It's coming out of the Senate with all of these elements, I think, that I described um, in it. And if we can get a conference committee agreement on those, uh, those, those various elements, I think we'll have a bill and we'll get the kind of reform that we need. Mr. Offenheiser, let me ask you a question from another perspective. If we ship grain from the United States, it's going to be GMO grain. And I wonder if Oxfam has a view on genetically modified grain. Well, at this point, our, our perspective is that, you know, we're not against, I guess, what you might call the science of, um, you know, biotechnology and the use of biotechnology to look at, um, you know, what are the opportunities for increasing productivity in, in some cases in marginal areas of um, uh, areas of Africa where soil fertility might be a challenge or, or um, rainfall may, may be a challenge. And we're seeing, you know, interesting efforts made by a variety of different um, both governments and, um, and private firms to try to address those issues. I think there are some questions about risk management um, and whether, for example, countries in these regions have, for example, the equivalent of a, a, an FDA or a USDA with the strength to kind of, mo you know, to monitor, you know, what might be impacts on biodiversity, for example, in, the, in countries. I think there's also concerns that we and others might have about intellectual property and how that is managed over time and the extent to which, you know, for example, companies are, you know, are, are in a position to actually, you know, move the, uh, um, uh, these, these new seeds into, into countries and then, um, and relinquish, you know, intellectual property control over time. And, um, so I think, you know, beyond the sort of the question about the science, I think there's are, there are questions about institutional capacity, um, intellectual property and, uh, that I think are still sort of open and, and being debated in many fora. In our particular case, we've, you know, we've tried to uh, apply, I guess, what is called the precautionary principle with the, the idea that, you know, if they're, you know, you, what you're really trying to do here is manage risks. And, uh, and, and at the end of the day, I think it's up to individual countries to actually decide how they want to manage those risks, what is the capacity of their institutions to manage risk, if there is any. Well, we're talking about grain that's going to people who are starving. Um, are you elitist enough to say that you wouldn't ship them GMO grain? You'd rather they starve instead of getting it? Well, I think anybody that's receiving grain from the United States knows that it's it's likely to be produced as GMO grain, and that is not you know has been a controversy up to this point. I think there have been some countries where we have been working as a humanitarian organization, where this issue has been raised by the government itself and not by us. And what what we've done in that case is we have milled the grain um, coming in into flour, and then we've you know moved the flour out into the marketplace. So there are various other ways of handling this if the government itself has a view on this. Is there corruption, in your view, in foreign governments that would handle that money or in organizations, making it to where that it would uh, not accomplish a great deal more for the people in need to give them money than to give them grain? 
Well, a lot of the a lot of the grain that we say in cases where we might even be handling this grain, oftentimes it's coming through the World Food Program. So the World Food Program is actually you know one of the major you know institutions um, globally that's handling this you know uh, commodities and moving commodities into the, what you know the most. Um, at-risk areas where we might be working, for example. So you might think of them as kind of the, um, you know, the, the arterial system and organizations like ours as a, um, as a, um, the capillary system. Um, and uh, so oftentimes, so that, there's a lot of uh, mechanisms, I think, within the World Food Program to monitor, you know, how that grain is being delivered, how it's being stored at port, how it's being transshipped, in, you know, into the countries. Now, is there potential for corruption? Is there potential for some grain to fall off the back of a truck? I think probably, you know, I would be naive to say that, you know, that there, you know, that never happens. Um, but I think, you know, we've we've learned over the years how to do this better, and we've, you know, we've there are, I, I think, accountability mechanisms within the system so that we know, you know, how much grain has been delivered to certain ports and how many trucks are going out, you know, to particular locations. And um, if this were happening on a massive scale, I think we we would likely detect it. I think a bigger risk, oftentimes, you know, for grain either produced nationally or oftentimes even delivered in the through these kinds of mechanisms is actually lost through. Um, you know, rodents, um, uh, insects, and or um, uh, mold. And, uh, and I think there's an interesting discussion that's getting going um, uh, among, you know, funders as well as among in industry circles about this question of, of loss and, um, and how we can deal with storage questions and, and the, the substantial loss that we see up to, in some cases, 40% at the national level in some of, the, some of these countries of, of grain that could otherwise be in the food system. Ray Offenheiser, uh, president of Oxfam America, thank you very much for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic. Ken, thank you very much. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by Syngenta. See all they are doing at Syngenta.com. I'm Ken Root.